every decision they make can have an effect on our lives. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack. America's not the same as it was 100 years ago. The violent mayhem we have seen in the streets and cities that are run by liberal Democrats. This is Our Lives in Politics with your host Booker and co-host Lou Basada. And you know, last week when I did the program, I, I mentioned that I was going to expose some things on this week's show. And that's what that's what we have planned for you here in this hour. What I'd like for you to do, if you're interested in going down some rabbit holes, you're going to want to grab a piece of paper and a pen because there's going to be some things that I'm going to be going over that you're going to need to pay attention to and actually write them down so that you can go back through later. Again, this isn't video. It's radio. It's audio on a podcast or on the America Out Loud talk radio network. So here we go. And, you know, we've known for years the Russian collusion was a hoax, and the recent Durham report confirmed all of that reporting. And we saw that all of it was started with a lie by a political campaign, that of Hillary Clinton. And it was propagated by the mainstream media and even the FBI. And what you may not realize is that running parallel to that operation to destroy a United States president was another well-funded and incredibly organized effort by private citizens and non-government organizations, NGOs, to make Trump and his administration ineffective. Even worse, it was stated goal of this opposition to have Trump removed from office. The names I'm about to share with you are American household names. They are some of the most powerful people with the resources to damage and, yes, even remove a sitting president. The damage that was done set our country on a course of social and cultural devastation. We're seeing it every day. I'm Booker Scott, and welcome to this hour on America Out Loud Talk Radio or wherever you found us on a podcast. I'm going to get into an extraordinary effort to destroy Donald Trump at all costs. Plus, we'll be joined by pirate radio host James R. and a real student of American courts and the Supreme Court. We'll discuss together the Missouri versus Biden decision and injunction and some recent SCOTUS decisions. As I get started on the first part of this hour, I will state here that I'm not suicidal. Don't worry about that. I have not had any thoughts of harming myself, so if something happens to me, you know who it was. It's time now to make sense of the things that we saw and we knew were wrong. Specifically, there was the summer of love. It seemed so organized, and it was so wrong, but no one was stopping it, and no one was saying it was wrong. Antifa was creating Chaz zones in the Northwest after burning down police stations, causing millions of dollars of damage to buildings, and there was loss of life. People died. The Summer of Love wouldn't have been complete without the BLM protests over George Floyd. Of course, the thousands that entered the streets at night in places like New York peacefully protesting, I'll put quotes around that, they weren't worried about COVID, were they? No masks in sight, no six feet separation. 
And even before those events in 2020, there was the Women's March in Washington, D.C. Remember that? That was at the very beginning of Donald Trump's presidency in 2017. Yes, that also was coordinated by the same people and the same money. I believe it's important for us to understand the forces behind the destruction of a presidency, both from within our government and from those individuals that had the power to gain and at the same time the power to take from the people that elected an outsider to represent them. Really, to understand all of this, we have to remember back to the late 90s and what was going on in Serbia and Yugoslavia. From 1998 to 2000, a civic protest group moved into a movement, and they did it to overthrow Slobodan Milosevic. This group was started by students in the name of democracy. How often do we hear the word democracy thrown around? And it was called Otpor. The word Otpor means resistance. Do you remember resistance? Do you remember how that word was used? Early after the election in 2016, that resistance hashtag became popular on social media. And many were proud to be in the resistance to Donald Trump. It became part of their lives, the resistance, or Otpor. And it wasn't organic. It was completely planned. So who was behind it? If I gave you five guesses right now, you'd probably be able to name about three of them. I want to credit this research and reporting for helping on this and doing a lot of the work to an anonymous source and a friend that can be followed on Twitter at Pepes Grandma. That's Pepes, P-E-P-E-S, Grandma. If you follow that account, you won't be disappointed. November 8th, 2016 was the election that Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton. Who could forget it? Hillary was supposed to win. She knew she would win. And she even said, if we don't win, we're all going down. So instead of going down and being held accountable for all that they had done, they went to work with the resistance. They became the resistance. The timeline, it's important in this story. Because the election was lost a week before the annual meeting of the Democracy Alliance. Between November 8th and November 15th of 2016, the agenda was changed for this meeting, and plans were put into motion to create what we witnessed the next four years. The Democracy Alliance meeting took place at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel, and after Trump won the election on November 8th, a new itinerary was written for this meeting. And that same itinerary mentions that George Soros was the founding partner of Democracy Alliance. A couple of months ago, I had Matt Palumbo as a guest, and he mentioned that it's Soros's backed organizations that actually do the work that we witness. And he said it's important that we understand who these organizations are, who these actors are. In fact, Palumbo wrote the book, Man Behind the Curtain, George Soros. You know, part of what motivated me, motivated me to write the book was, you know, he's a character where everyone sort of has an idea he's behind things. Like, you can go to any internet comment section whenever there's a protest and there's someone saying, you know, I bet Soros is behind this. And, you know, a lot of the time they're right. But, you know, I kind of felt like there's a lot of information out there, but no one person has just kind of gone through it all and synthesized it and just put it in one coherent format. And, you know, as, as I've kind of learned from uh, managing Bungina report, uh, you know, the news aggregator that you alluded to, uh, there's definitely a lot of value, I think, in just 
stripping down information when there's so much in the world. So that was my goal with the book was just say, all right, here's all these things Soros is, you know, accused of doing. And, you know, here's, you know, the reality. And the reality is, you know, even the, the craziest sounding conspiracy about the guy is, uh, I use the term directionally correct. They, uh, you know, all the details might not be completely accurate, but uh, generally speaking, he does enjoy a, a very big uh, uh, you know, army of influence. On November 15th, 2016, this yearly meeting started with the Soros-backed Democracy Alliance at the helm as the chief organizer of it. Also there, Barack Obama's OFA and many other as partners. At this meeting, they pushed, guess what? The Russian conspiracy, that Russia had hacked the election, which we now know was a complete lie, and you ever wonder where that came from? Remember, it was Hillary Clinton and this whole bunch that started the lie of the Russian collusion. David Brock, that may be a name that you've heard before. His organization is Media Matters, and they were there too. Brock has written such books as The Fox Effect, The Republican Noise Machine, The Killing the Messenger. This group at the meeting put out a call to use Anti-Capitalist Working Family Party to be the main organizer of all these organizations. There was also Linda Sarsour. She was there. She was the organizer of the Women's March in January 2017. And it's safe to say that if you were anti-capitalist, pro-socialist, and anti-American, you were at this meeting November 15, 2016, again, one week after the election. Soros' Democracy Alliance used to be a major funder at the anti-capitalist ACORN. Does that ring a bell with you? Yep, that's the same ACORN that Obama worked with as a trainer. Now, the Democracy Alliance funds the Working Families Party, which is really just a front for ACORN. The WFP was started by ACORN members, including Barack Obama. The anti-capitalist group New Party, which Obama was a member, is, was the predecessor of WFP. If you remember Occupy Wall Street, that was the Working Families Party that supported that effort and funded it. Also, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, she's part of the Working Families Party, and Soros directly funded AOC. Obama has a couple of other organizations worth mentioning here also. Obama's specific resistance organization is indivisible, and you guessed it, George Soros funded it. It was also funded by Solidaire Networks. Co-founder there is Leah Hunt Hendricks and LinkedIn's Reid Hoffman. Reed Hoffman. Does that sound familiar? Well, he funded a Russian bot campaign against Roy Moore in his race for the U.S. Senate from the state of Alabama. It's interesting the Democrats always do what they accuse others of doing. In this case, it is no conspiracy theory. Hoffman even apologized for what he had done in 2018. You can read all about it. Just Google that scam of Hoffman and the Russian bots. Back to the Women's March in January 2017. Who funded that? Well, it was Obama's Indivisible and his Move On organizations, which again is funded by George Soros. And what about Antifa? I mentioned them a few minutes ago. Well, the Houston Democratic Socialists of America, or DSA, were allied with Obama's Indivisible. And it was the DSA, the Democrat Socialists of America, that took on the militant wing of Antifa. Now let's add another group to the mix, the Solidaire Group, 
Solidaire was technically already connected to the Soros Democracy Alliance, and it was funded by Proteus Fund, which had its Piper Fund partnered with Soros. The interesting part about Solidaire is it had already established a rapid response prior to the 2016 election. But that plan was changed and given steroids after Trump won. There are the actors and the organizations. Now, what did they do at that meeting on November 15, 2016? They came together to create a new organization, the Emergent Fund. And what was it? It was a rapid response fund to help move quick resources. That means money for bricks planted in certain cities where riots were going to happen. Remember that? This emergent fund is run by Proteus Fund, which coordinates the efforts of state, local, and national activist groups. Also, right after this meeting, George Soros announced on his own website that he started a rapid response fund as well. So what about Hillary Clinton in this picture? Well, after she licked her wounds and made her rounds on television explaining how she lost the election because it was stolen by Russian bots, which, of course, was discredited in the Mueller report, she formed a group called Onward Together in May of 2017. It was run by Anthony Weiner's ex, Uma Abedin, and they immediately joined and partnered with Obama's resistance organization, Indivisible. Again, this resistance was much more than a hashtag, or something people put in their bio on social media. As you're hearing, it was an elaborate web of money and ever-growing organizations. And keep in mind, as these organizations were causing division in the country to spread lies and rumors about Donald Trump, the FBI, Mueller, and a Pelosi Congress was impeaching Trump at the same time. Remember the Serbian Oatpour? Well, the founders of that coup held training for this very resistance. Those guys from way back then in 98 to 2000 were the ones that trained and even had a guidebook. There was a playbook on how to help these organizations to recruit new organizations and help remove President Trump from office. Don't take my word for it. Take it from them. Here's an excerpt directly from the resistance guide. The Resistance Guide has the slogan, How to Sustain the Movement to Win, on the front cover. Here's some of what it says. What if you knew millions of people like you had small groups they could count on to encourage and nurture their political activity, keeping them inspired and moving forward? We could take back Congress and our state legislatures. We could block Trump's agenda, remove him from office, and ignite a progressive revolution. Again, this is in 2016, right after the election, and they are talking about sparking a progressive revolution. Again, like the World Economic Forum, they don't hide what they want to do or who they are. They're socialists. (laughs) They're socialists that wanted a revolution to overthrow a president. And guess what? It worked. Now, back to that resistance guide, word for word now, quote, The first step is training. We have developed the Resistance Guide training program and would love for you to sign up for one today at guidingtheresistance.org. Many other groups offer mass trainings. You'll be able to form your own group, just like those that advance the civil rights movement or overthrow, here it comes, or overthrow Milosevic in Serbia. That's Oatpour, or resistance. 
It was a well-funded, remarkably coordinated, successful attempt to smear a president, destroy energy independence, low inflation, wage growth, and a more secure border. As we were watching what media called mostly peaceful protest in the summer of 2020, we knew it didn't feel right. What you've heard here is the reason why it wasn't right. It was an intentional attempt to overthrow a duly elected American government. In combination with the impeachments, the FBI, the election, January 6th, simultaneously alongside this massive socialist operation, Trump absolutely had no chance. And we had no chance either. All of that brings some questions. Why? Is it power, greed, corruption? What is their motivation and why is it so contrary to the American dream? So there are many questions left to be answered. And like normal, I'm going to get someone that's a lot smarter than me to try to answer some of these questions. I'm going to bring in now for you Julie Bradshaw. Julie is a writer on Substack. Again, it's Julie Bradshaw now joining us. And Julie, let me ask you, what were your impressions of what you just heard? Well, first of all, Booker, thank you so much for having me on. I'm I'm very glad to be here to try and uh, help fill in some things. Um, what I was first impressed with, I guess, is just how much detail and organization went into the minute that that Trump was elected, and how organized they were, how much money was being put into it, um, who was there. It very aligned, very um, you know, very much like getting the troops together and, and actually how it struck me now that I've, you know, kind of thought about it a little bit is that in a way, this is really, they're showing us that they have a parallel government structure going, right? The, these people, most of them are not elected. They're not um, really officially part of the government. And yet they all got together to change the government. And so that is a very kind of uh I don't know, kind of almost shocking thing when you think about it, that their the whole reason they got together was to change people's minds, change the government, change the direction of the country. And I know that you have written about the psychology of all of this behind it, and you've done research into that, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here. In the, the, the last half of this hour, we're going to be spending some time talking about the injunction that was just put on by a district judge in District 5 about this that we're seeing going on with the Missouri versus Biden. And and that kind of ties into Matt Taibbi and the Twitter files and everything that was exposed there. Psychologically, what is going on in this country? What are we seeing? What are we sensing? What are we feeling? Well, it's definitely very intentional. Um, and, you know, uh, General Flynn actually has a book about this. Uh, I don't know exactly the title, but it's about fifth generation warfare. Mm -hmm. And that actually is the psychology of the mind. It's warfare of the mind. Um, you know, the first, the first generation was bows and arrows. The fourth one was the nuclear age. And now the fifth one is actually our minds. And so they know that they cannot get any more power than they already have without changing some very fundamental things about how society works. And that's what they're working on right now. And especially since uh, COVID, that was really kind of the kickoff, if you will, yeah. to the massive PSYOP that it is. And it's just continuing on. And you mentioned massive. 
and that's very close to mass formation psychosis. I know you've written an article on that. Uh, Dr. Robert Malone really brought out mass formation psychosis and the Breggans who are actually here on America out loud talk radio as well are kind of opposite of him. What are your thoughts on mass formation psychosis and psychology in this country? Is it really a thing? Is it something that we're witnessing? Is it something that we witnessed with COVID? Oh, it's it's definitely a thing. Um, the the Bregans have written a book uh, called COVID nineteen and the Global Predators. We are the prey. It's an amazing book with history and observations, and I think it's probably got like 150 pages of references. So it's a very tightly written, very coherent book and a very good um, analysis of what happened. Um, that's in contrast to um, Desmet's book. The, I'm sorry, the title kind of escapes me this moment, okay. but um, it's the, yeah, the mass formation. And you know, his book is one third, maybe the size of the Bregan's book. It's padded. There's a lot of white space. Um, and actually, most of that book doesn't really address psychology. It's really kind of more philosophy. It's actually a little bit of theology. Um, and there's some pretty good takedowns of his theory. Like, it's just got a lot of holes. When I went through everything that I went through the first 10 or 12 minutes of this, and you almost can't blame half the country for believing and feeling the way they do and psychologically being who they are. They, they're, they're only as good as the information that they take in. So depending on where you have gotten your information over the last three or four or five years, you look at the world completely different than the people that have gotten information from somewhere else, which then gets into the Twitter files and the weaponization of the government that we have seen, where they have censored one side of information. So psychologically, where where do you see this country? Well, just to talk just about, you know, 2020 and the election, you know, when Biden was going around the country, he couldn't fill a high school gym, whereas... Sanders during the during the the primaries filled Golden Gate Park, and yet somehow over the over time, media just kept saying how Sanders couldn't win and kept elevating um, Biden, and all of a sudden Biden won the primary, mm -hmm. and it didn't make any sense given what the sentiment of the Democrats were supporting. And so what you have to consider is that probably billions of dollars were spent on advertising and, you know, talk shows and uh, media and, and things like that to change the public's perception that um, Sanders, even though he's enormously much more popular than Biden, was not electable and Biden ended up being the selection. So that tells you just within the Democratic Party, that there was a lot of shenanigans going on to shift millions of people over to um, a candidate that nobody was enthusiastic about. So that's just that small part of it. And then just how it's just kind of followed on. I mean, the, you know, the media, 75% of their um, revenue is coming from pharma. And so they aren't able to give you know, both sides of the story for, for that, because obviously media doesn't want to bite the hand that feeds them. But I, I think when you look at like what, you know, what you brought about what happened in 2016 with the Democracy Alliance and all that kind of stuff is that I think we are not even aware of just 
how much money and how much energy is going into all these different tentacles, if you will, into society, into media, into every possible corner to manipulate things to the way they want them. And I, I think very few people are really aware of how much they are being manipulated. Julie, as we end this half hour, do you have any big thoughts on uh, the World Economic Forum? I know that you you deal with that some, and what we are feeling and sensing in this country, a move to socialism, and uh, some would argue that Western civilization as we knew it is going to be gone. Well, um, yeah, that's what they want us to think. I mean, I have, I have a lot of different thoughts about that, but they are... They've, they've already made some very big mistakes. The, the, the plan, as I understand it, I found something on um, 4chan that was put out, and I'm not sure how long ago, it was possibly a speech by Klaus Schwab. It sounds like it's in his kind of hoity-toity voice. Yeah. Um, so it's, it sounds very much like it could be that. But, um, and, and what it sounds like is it's a, a speech to high-level people, so leaders of state, that kind of thing. And it goes through this long preamble of, like, the, the biosphere is going to collapse and la, 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 you know, all this, you know, prepping it for that. And then it actually goes through the plan for depopulation and for how the, you know, bioweapon will be brought in first that will look like a flu, will look like a coronavirus, and but the real weapon is going to be the shots. And embedded kind of in this speech is they have to be really careful to lay that out very slowly so that people will not catch on. Biggest weapons we can have is that when we no longer respond to their abuse, but we call them on their abuse and and fight back. And that's really our, our best and finest weapon is letting them know we know who they are and we're not going to let them go any further. Let's not let them go any further. You've been listening to Julie Bradshaw. She's a writer, and you can find her work on Substack. Julie, thank you very much for joining us here on Our Lives in Politics. Thanks so much for having me, Booker. And we'll be back with more. We're going to get into that injunction in just a minute with Pirate Radio, James R. He's here next on America Out Loud Talk Radio. While the cancel culture destroys our history, bringing crime and terror to city streets, AmericaOutloud.news will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being 
above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix Rx is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Welcome back to the program on Our Lives and Politics on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I am Booker Scott. Thank you, as always, for joining us. As you heard there in the first half of this hour, that there was an effort going on all the way back to one week after the election in 2016 to destroy Donald Trump and his administration. It worked parallel along with what the FBI was doing, which we all now know what they were doing. Now, something else that was going on, and I think it somehow ties into all the apparatus that was used by the Democrats and the leftists to destroy Donald Trump, was the suppression of the truth. The suppression of the truth of us as American people and what they did through social media and big tech. What you may not realize is there has been a court case going through the courts for a couple of years now in Missouri versus Biden. And also Louisiana was involved there with Attorney General John Landry as well. So now finally, we hear that just this week, Independence Day, July 4th, that now this court and the judge has put an injunction on Joe Biden. I want to get some help on someone that I have a lot of respect on in court matters, and that's James R. I mentioned Pirate Radio at the top of the hour. He is the host of that and has been for years. Very successful show. James, welcome to the program. Welcome to Our Lives in Politics. Hey, thanks, Booker, for having me. It's, it's great to talk to you. Tell everyone exactly when your show is on, where they can find you so they can see you, because I think they'll love the show that you do. I appreciate that. Well, it's uh, Friday nights, uh, every Friday night at 11.30 p.m. Eastern time. Now, that time slot should signify something to your audience. This is an adult show for adults. So uh, I warn you now, I would love to have your viewership, but don't come if you're hypersensitive to adult content. <laughs> and and I would say also right now that James is also in Hawaii. So that also has something to do with the time frame, because when it's 1130 Eastern time, what is it in Hawaii? What, 5, 530 in the afternoon? 
So not so Correct. bad for you, but good warning, letting everyone know that it is some adult content in there and not necessarily in a bad way, probably just in a lot of language. Yeah, it's just language, just language. Like there's, there's no nudity or anything <laughs> like that. I don't, don't want to send the wrong message. And, I like and, to give people know. and how can people follow you on Twitter, social media as well? Yeah, I'm at real person, P-L-T-C-S. That's politics without the vowels. So real person, P-L-T-C-S. All right, James, let's get into Missouri v. Biden and the injunction that came out on July 4th on Independence Day that gave a lot of us uh, a reason to celebrate a little bit more on July 4th. Exactly what was, what is Missouri versus Biden? Let's start there, and then we'll move into the injunction. So Missouri v. Biden is a case where the state of Missouri and its attorney general, who, by the way, the uh, gentleman that started that is now the senator uh, for Missouri, and it's being carried on by the new attorney general over there. Um, But the case started as a censorship case, pure and simple. Uh, They were sticking up uh, for their constituents, the people in Missouri, uh, that were being, you know, essentially attacked, over their First Amendment rights by the Biden administration itself. And they they knew that these things were not big tech, that these things were directly coming from government agents, government agencies uh, putting their hands on the scale. And, you know, this is illegal. It's unconstitutional. They're not allowed to do it. And that's the signal that was sent on July 4th by the judge. Uh, A lot of people don't understand that in order to get an injunction, you have to have the likelihood to prevail in throughout the trial on the on the issues with the evidence and and the facts as um, are have been stated by basically both sides to the judge at that point. So the judge putting in this temporary restraining order signals that it's likely uh, that uh, Missouri is going to win this case against the Biden administration. And James, let's go back to the suppression and what what they are claiming and what they are suing the Biden administration for doing, which was the suppression of the truth, the censoring of Americans. And this has to do with COVID, but it also has to do with just about everything that, that came out in the news. We know that there was suppression around the Hunter Biden laptop. We know that now. And we know that through the Twitter files that both Matt Taibbi and Mike Schellenberger, they testified under oath exactly what was going on between big tech, social media, and the Biden administration. I think Taibbi, when he testified, he said it was within the first 24 hours that Joe Biden was in office that they were telling Twitter to take down a tweet that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. actually uh, tweeted out. And it, it was something simple. It was over Hank uh, Aaron uh, being uh, whether whether or not he had been uh, uh, vaccinated. A simple tweet like that, and within 24 hours of the inauguration of Joe Biden, they were already at work telling uh, Twitter and big tech to so to censor us. It's things like that, that we knew were going on a lot of COVID stuff that was going on that we knew that they were censoring us. And now we're, we're getting to see how elaborate this is with this suit that continues to move forward. Absolutely. I, you know, I want to make sure that your audience is aware of a specific name in this case, because there is a special agent for the FBI known as Elvis Chan. Yeah, I know his name is Elvis. Get over that. <laughs> his name is Elvis Chan. Uh, and he was deposed in Missouri v. Biden, and his deposition exposes almost all the corruption, including the government agencies, the breadth of it, uh, how many actual uh, 
requests for censorship he was fielding directly to Twitter. And the reason I highlight Elvis Chan is because this is what exposes also the nefarious nature of the relationship between our government and big tech. Because if you if you follow the deposition and you and you read it, you will see that what he was doing was cultivating a source, basically what most people are, are referred to as a CHS, right? Confidential human source. All of his behavior was that, that he was bringing Twitter as an entity onto the team. You know, little questions like that most people would think are innocuous, you know, like, oh, does does anybody over there have a security clearance? Now, he already knew that uh, uh, the guy, which suddenly his name escapes me, I, I forgive me, but the uh, ex-FBI lawyer was on that team at Twitter and directly in line with uh, the Twitter censorship department. So they were he was leading Yoel Roth and the others in the direction of their FBI handler. And then they brought them in even further. They were saying like, well, we're gonna have to get your team security clearances. Like he made the people and the employees of Twitter feel like they were, you know, wannabe FBI agents out there fighting the frontline battle for freedom. And, and it, it's, it's really insidious when you understand how these people work, that they were cultivated into this mindset that, you know, th if it weren't for them, the, the America would cease to exist. And they even created an entire new term for information. Like everybody on your program is absolutely familiar with misinformation, disinformation. But what the Biden administration has done is create a whole new category known as mal administration, or I'm sorry, mal information. And what mal information is, is information that is 100% true, but because it's true, it might lead to people doing things the government didn't like. Like, can you imagine the Orwellian nature of saying the information is true, but we still want you to censor it because it's bad for the population. And there has been so much of that going on the last five or six years that over half the country believes one way and the other half believes the other. And it, it has such a devastating effect on the elections, but it, and it also has just, we can, we can see what's happening in, in this country today and in the Western civilization the the effects of what they have done uh, by keeping the truth from people because it, it, they there there are two different universes going on right now as a result of all of this effort you mentioned uh that chan was deposed but also an interesting name that was deposed during this already has been anthony fauci there's also been members from the cdc and in other organizations high within the government that have already been deposed and there are more depositions that will be coming because really they're still in the discovery process in this case, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. They're, they haven't even gotten all the depositions done. In fact, the fifth circuit just finally closed the uh, arguments on who can be deposed and who should be deposed and you know what they need to do in order to get this case moving. So um, the fifth circuit uh, court of appeals is already aware and has already weighed in um, and has not injuncted at any step the Missouri uh, case, another good sign, uh, because they basically said, look, okay, you can't depose this person, but let's try to get it from their assistant or their deputy. And then if you can't get the information from that person, we'll work up the chain. So they are basically sending the signal like that the government better stop messing around and get this case properly um, discovered and properly deposed. James, one thing that we talk about when we talk about court cases is the remedy. 
And, you know, as, as I sit and watch this Biden administration over the last two years, just seem to thumb their nose at court decisions a lot of the times and really have no regard for laws that are already on the books. When this is all said and done, and let's say that uh, Missouri, Louisiana, and the other people named as plaintiffs in this win, let's say that's that's the outcome. They win. Right now we have an injunction, and, and I've already seen that the State Department that usually has the Wednesday meetings with Big Tech and Social, they canceled that meeting until further notice yesterday. That came out. Uh, which uh, so that that was interesting. That that at least they're saying that we don't know what they're going to be doing behind closed doors, uh, because there's a lot of things obviously going on behind closed doors in the White House uh, with cocaine powder floating around. But what is the remedy when when this is all said and done? Missouri wins versus Biden. You say that's the way the judge is is probably thinking because of this injunction. Then what? Well, let's if we pretend that we've already won the case, Missouri v. Biden, the government will be forced in perpetuity to cease all uh, censorship activities with all of the tech, every everybody, not just one. It won't it won't just be one person because the the issues at stake here are their general behavior with all of big tech, and it's not just Twitter on the line. They've they've named. Um, uh, other, you know, the other entities like Facebook, Google's, whatnot. So, um, you know, so the the basic thing is that the government will be prevented from using the money and the power uh, of, you know, their AI bots to basically, you know, scrape. We're all a little bit familiar with scraping if you're on the internet. Um, you know, all of your data to parse out. You know, the the, the amount. People don't understand this. The amount of censorship that was going on that they were sending in 50,000 uh, notices for action <laughs> to Twitter. Yeah. You can't do that by hand. Can we know that there were 80 FBI agents working with Twitter? That's just Twitter. Can you imagine Facebook, which is much larger than Twitter and Google, uh, which it seems like owns the world and what they were doing. So do you have any faith that, <laughs> that that would continue? Because we know that big tech and social uh, completely shut down half the country and they shut down the truth. So if the remedy is that they can no longer do it, do you actually have truth that that's not going to be happening through some sort of NGO that's attached to the liberals or the leftists? No, in fact, the complete opposite, but there's a caveat and I'm going to get to that for you here in a second. But so right now we're, we're already aware that they've already planned and staged out that middleware uh, so to speak, of the, you know, other organizations, NGOs, uh, you know, private funded organizations. But what's that's the exact same issue that's at stake right now is that not only does the government owe you your First Amendment, but they cannot hire private organizations to end run the Constitution. And if the government is funding an organization, you've already sent the signal that those agencies are working on your behalf. And so the judges are not going to find that very funny and they're not going to find it amusing. And the, the, once a judge's order, like if when this case wins, again, we're we're predicating this on winning the Missouri v. Biden case, that those agents themselves could go to jail for violating your rights just because they farmed it out doesn't mean that they're covered. Number one. Number two. And here's where uh, I, I mentioned this everywhere I can, because there's a there's a principle of of government agency that is long established Supreme Court 
precedence. Um, and it and it falls in this line that let's pretend for a second that, you know, I'm over at your house and I go rifling through the drawers of your dresser and I find evidence of a crime and I take that to the FBI. The FBI can use the evidence I find against you because I'm not an agent. I don't work for the government and I never have. That's the key sentence. I never have. Anybody that was a prior agent owes you your rights in perpetuity. So even if I'm a confidential human source today and I fall off the books and then I rifle through your drawers, everything I find and anything found because of my evidence is all thrown out of court. It's inadmissible because I'm acting on behalf of the government, even though I have fallen off. And they do that so that you know, the FBI can't play games like hire people, train them, point them at a target and then, quote, fire them while they go work for a third party to keep getting a paycheck while they pursue illegal means of violating your constitutional rights. So this principle is very rock solid. Now, why do I bring this up? Because we already have the signal in the injunction that the judge already sees that social media, big tech, has acted as de facto agents of the government. They got in bed in an incestuous relationship with the government. So if it's established in this court case that uh, big tech acted as government actors, government agents on their behalf, they will owe us our rights in perpetuity, which will change the game forever. Because now not only will the government owe you your First Amendment, so will all of big tech. Which was the argument that we always heard over the last couple of years. Well, they're private companies. You know, they don't have to do the First Amendment rights with you. They can do what they want to, but the government cannot. And, and that was always our argument that you can't suppress free speech in America. It's the First Amendment right. Something you mentioned a few minutes ago that I think is really important. I think a lot of it has come out in hearings as well. Because it's easy just to, to blame Twitter and Facebook and Google and all these other big tech things. But they really, really, and I believe this at this point, and you mentioned it a few minutes ago, these people really believe that they were saving democracy. They were saving the country. Because, again, the FBI comes in sort of like January 6th and sort of like the Whitmer uh, kidnapping in Michigan. They, the FBI comes in, they make these people... Actually, they teach them and train them on what they want them to do as if they were an FBI agent, and then off they went. And they really feel like they're saving the country, don't they? A hundred percent. You know, the, the government's interests, you know, I think that they really do believe that they're doing the right thing for the country. The problem is, is that they have built their own minds up to being the arbiters of what's good for the country. And that is where the problem lies. You know, I mentioned it earlier in a space uh, that I was doing on Twitter that, you know, this country only survived this long due to the dynamic tension between both sides of the political spectrum, expressing their ideas and thoughts, the balance of power kind of changing hands throughout time to where we stayed balanced because there was, you know, the best ideas the rose to the top, you know, the true meritocracy of ideas, the best ideas that were accepted by the vast majority were accepted. Where we find ourselves now is in a, this Orwellian place where people are starting to determine things like, you know, what the truth is. And I know that this is a hard concept for a lot of people to understand, but, you know, the language is important. You know, truth is subjective. Okay. True 
is objective. And there is a vast difference between the two. Things that are facts are things that you know for a fact, you observed it, that it happened. But I can give the best example I have of how truth is subjective. And I like to use Galileo as the example, because all of society, all of his scientific peers, everybody on the planet said that the earth was stationary and that the sun revolved around it. Galileo made the observation that it was the complete opposite. And he was almost put to death for that observation. And But he was telling the truth of his observations. And his observations were objectively true. But as far as the society at large was feeling, the truth, and it's still observable science today, by the way. If you walk outside in the morning, you will watch the sun rise in the east, and you will watch the sun set in the west. So observably, that the society thought that they were telling the truth but they weren't. And that's why it's very important that, you know, people understand that it's very difficult to be a quote, the arbiter of truth. And that's where we find ourselves today, where the government is deciding what's true and what's not for us. It's not even allowing the, the honest debate to happen in society. And that is very, very dangerous for our future. And so many uh, people in the country have been oblivious that any of this was even taking place. You really had to be plugged in through social media and big tech to understand what was going on. And then even further than that, you had to be on the side that was being shut down. If you were on the side that you mentioned that felt like you were doing the right thing for the country, then you felt like, okay, well, that's fine. You should be shut down because you're, you're telling a lie. And it wasn't a lie. Like you said, it's a matter of debate. Let's flesh this out and the truth comes up. And we're missing that. We've been missing that. And that's why you see things that happened during COVID with ivermectin and the other things that they completely shut down. The Wuhan lab. We know that it came from a lab. It, it, you would have to be an idiot to believe that it didn't from the beginning. But somehow through all of this, we were not allowed to say the China virus. And again, that was part of big tech, social media, shutting down the voices. Something else I want to, since you're here, I want to, I want to talk about a few of the, uh, there were about three cases last week that came out of the Supreme Court. And I know you're a great student of the Supreme Court. And there was one nine to nothing decision, which I always love to see. And I think a lot of people struggle with understanding the way the Supreme Court looks at laws. People on the right believe that, well, this is the law, this is the way it should be, and people on the left believe it should be another way. Well, that's exactly why we have the judicial system and the Supreme Court of the United States to, to be the, the, uh, the scorekeeper on how a law is interpreted and sometimes we just don't understand that, do we, James? No, you're 100% right. I mean, I've spent, in fact, I talked about this today on a space as well, was the fact that, you know, a lot of MAGA people, America First conservatives, um, have this notion that somehow Amy Coney Barrett isn't all she's cracked up to be. And all of that was led by media uh, just distorting what was going on in these court cases and people largely, and I don't expect them to, but people just don't understand what's happening. And I gave the example earlier today to flesh this out in the Houston election case. A lot of people fried Amy Coney Barrett over her uh, rejecting that case and sending it back to be rewritten. And that's the thing is that she said it needs to be rewritten. Now, why did she say that? It's because the lawyer 
included international law in a federal district court filing. You can't do that. And the lawyer knows he can't do that. So you, you have to ask yourself, why did the lawyer do that? Yeah. Did the lawyer do it on purpose, nefariously? Was it an accident? Was it an honest mistake? I doubt it. And that's because he should know better. If I know better, he really should know better. Well, and James, and so, he probably thought he would get away with it because he got all the way to the Supreme Court. He probably right, gets right. away with that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah, you're no, you're 100% right. But see, she did the right thing according to our Constitution and the law um, and the rules of the court, which, you know, is ordinary business. Like, everybody knows you can't do this. So, you know, she gets a bad rap because people don't understand the decisions. And they, they love to obfuscate that there was these 9-0 decisions where even the even the crazy people on the court agreed mm-hmm. that no you can't do this right and and that's not the case because the supreme court doesn't look at cases like that and i you know i think i think it would be a good thing for people to understand what the Supreme Court is looking at when they look at some of these cases. Uh, but anyway, I think it was a pretty good week all in all last week for for the Supreme Court uh, on the conservative side and the right side of things when it comes to laws. Yeah, I realize we don't have the time to flesh this out, so I'll just say that I am very happy with every single decision that this Supreme Court has made uh, and their opinions on it. Um, There's even the people that are unhappy about certain things. I can explain where it is in the minutia of the order um, and how it affects us in a positive manner as a country. And James, as we wrap up here for this hour on Our Lives in Politics, as you look at big tech social and the Missouri v. Biden, and you look at the other decisions coming from the Supreme Court, are you in a positive place in general on this country right now, or are you negative? No, I'm really positive, to be honest with you. I, I know that the rhetoric's out there, and I know we're in a very dangerous place right now because our executive branch is completely out of control. But the checks and balances that our founders gave us are working. Like I just mentioned and you just mentioned, the Supreme Court has done the right things at rebalancing the, the, the shift of power in this country, and they're correcting the mistakes. And that's ultimately what people need to understand about our country, is we have a remedial system. In other words, somebody has to screw up before we can correct it. We do not have pre-crime in this country. Even though the Biden administration is trying to create a pre-crime division, we really don't have that. Okay, everything must first be, you know, made to an error and then we have to correct it. And and right now, uh, from the correction and rebalancing part, I'm very confident in in our side of the aisle, uh, in the general broad sense. And I'm very confident that the court has made all the right decisions to redistribute that power back to a balanced position. So we are headed in the right direction. We are at a very dangerous crossroads in this country. And if, if we don't do our jobs as the citizenry, if we don't stand up for election integrity, make sure that we're doing our jobs with things like, you know, precinctstrategy.com, saviorrepublic.org, um, earlyvoteaction.com. If we don't take the action and the bull by the horn, so to speak, we could lose this country. We are that close. But I am still bullish on it right now because I see the people doing the right things in key positions. And James, I would say that over the last several years, I think it's been pretty evident that America is still a republic. 
when you look at the way the laws were challenged coming through COVID, there were some states that were absolutely locked down forever and ever. Schools were closed, but then you had other states like Florida and, and, and Missouri would be another one that, that handled things completely different. And that's the way the Republic is supposed to work. And, and then you, you challenge what has been done locally. And eventually one day that ends up in a place like the Supreme Court. 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. And this is why local action is probably way more important um, even than, you know, presidential politics. Believe it or not, um, this next election cycle is a, a very good Senate map for America First people. We've got 30 Senate seats up and 20 of them are Democrat. 10 of them are Republican. We can afford to primary everybody and try to get a better government this time around if the people focus on that local, local, local change that needs to happen. And you know, you're, you're just like every guest almost that, that I've had on Our Lives in Politics. And actually, last week on the 4th of July show, I did, I sort of did a show on that, is the fact that everybody that comes on this program ends up in one of two places or both. And that is local action to make a difference get busy and get with it and then the other part is is a god part of it that that get back to god and get back to local community and i think those are those are great messages again this is james r with pirate radio james i'm going to give you the final word here well i just want to say thank you for having me um you know uh, you and i talk quite often on twitter but i've never actually been on your show because we are on polar opposite sides of the planet um you know you basically uh are over there on the east coast and i'm as far out into the middle of the pacific ocean as you can get without uh starting to speak foreign languages so i just appreciate being on your show and, and having a chance to share with your audience uh, the things that we share on twitter every day uh, and i hope to see them over there you've been listening to our lives and politics on the america out loud network <laughs>